Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 62 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show for you guys today. Uh, The great friend of the pod, Kyle Cushman, is here uh, to talk to us about growing and much, much more. Uh, We're also going to talk about gorilla growing, my take on that, as well as answering questions from you guys. So stick around. Episode 62 brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Rocket Seeds, and Vapor.com. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Excelsior Extracts. Outcast and TOH from Excelsior are incredible people, incredible growers, and they make an amazing product. Their THC-infused pain rub is made by patients for patients, and it provides powerful relief from pain. This product was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, and trust me, this is a super potent topical that really works. You can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. DM them there to learn more about their amazing pain rub. And don't forget to tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. All right, welcome back, and thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for that Grow Bud Yourself theme song that we all know and love. <laughs> How's it going, Mike? Going well. We're, we're here at episode 62 of Grow Bud Yourself. Indeed, 62, uh, which reminds me of that race for 62 home runs in uh, 1998 between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Right, the, uh, yes, that... that- both uh, saved baseball at the time and, and then kind of ruined it with the steroids, right? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so, because, uh, you know, the 61 was uh, was Roger Maris mm-hmm. uh, after he beat uh, Babe Ruth's record there. Uh, but he got and then the, uh, the asterisk because he did it in, in more games. Right, which is kind of silly, but... Yeah, I mean, all of it is silly to me. I, you know me, I, my, I have a pro-steroids stance. <laughs> I, I don't believe in uh, drug testing adults, uh, especially adults that play a game for, for, for our amusement. Wait, wait, uh, wait, okay. We might need to do a little sports on drugs uh, tangent here. What, let's get into this. So you are, you're pro-steroids? You think I, I'm not saying I'm taking... pro... No, I wouldn't say I'm pro-steroids. I don't think everyone should be taking them. I think they're harmful. Uh, but I think people have a right to do whatever they want with their own bodies. And I think athletes have that as well. And I mean, like, if they want to run the risks to their bodies of what steroids brings to them and they want to hit more home runs... Uh, that's great. It, I don't think, you know, the steroids only all they give you is power. I mean, it, you mm-hmm. still got to hit the ball. You still got to do everything right. You got to run around right. the bases and catch the ball. I just I think it's silly to to deny uh, people, you know, entry into the Hall of Fame, for instance, or put asterisks on their records. It, it, it's it's corny. It's like we're somehow lording over these athletes that are grown people that are some cases kinda, like uh, abnormally grown. 
<laughs> exactly. And I mean, I think that at a certain point, there's a diminishing returns where the steroids mm-hmm. aren't going to help you in a game like baseball. I mean, maybe just with power, but that's it. And I think, uh, you know, baseball is a game that people have been taking drugs in since the beginning. They had greenies uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. Speed Those was were a like big amphetamines, thing. right? Right. Exactly. And I mean, that was just a common practice. And cheating has always gone on in baseball spitballs all the stuff that they're trying to crack down on it's all constantly happening i mean and 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 gambling all these things these are things that grown people do and i think it's kind of silly for us to judge these these grown athletes and put asterisks and and deny them hall of fame i mean pete rose is not in the baseball hall of fame you okay, know, okay. So you're, let's say, you have control over this. You're the doorman here at the Hall of Fame. Who are you letting in? Pete Rose? Pete Rose, Shoeless Barry Joe. Barry Bonds? Barry Bonds. Everyone who's Roger great Clemens? at the game. It doesn't, what, yeah, Roger Clemens. Mm-hmm. Whatever's on okay. paper, whatever your stats are, that's all that matters. What you did, you know, off the field, what you did on, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, and... You know, I, I think it's just these, you know, these writers had these dreams of, of being in the game and, and, and then they control uh, the Hall of Fame and, and how people perceive these athletes. And they're, they're jealous. They're little bitches. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're yeah. jealous. And, it's, I, and, um, they, and then they inflict that upon the players that they wish they were. You know, they mm. talk about it while, while we live it. You know, it's just to me it's all pretty silly so let me just play devil's advocate you acknowledged that the steroids give you a little bit of extra power while obviously you still need the hand-eye coordination and everything else that goes along with the uh, the act of hitting but you know this guy hit 700 and what's his number 750 or something like that um there's a few of those had he not been on steroids that would have been fly balls to right am i correct i mean wouldn't they wouldn't have uh, gone over the fence without the steroids that's that might be correct but that's less entertaining are you not entertained i mean the point is you go to the game to to see the game okay not to see the results of 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 a piss test of one of these players i mean <laughs> it's getting to be ridiculous and i just you know i, I don't know I'm saying they're allowed to do whatever they want. If they want to bulk up to, you know, add an extra 100 pounds of muscle and be mm-hmm. freakazoids, they, they, they can do that. I don't know if that's going to help them or not, but I but think you're okay with it. it's ridiculous to police baseball and, or any other sport. I mean, football and anything. Just let these, let these dudes do what they want. Just let them play and it'll all sort itself out. But trying to police them, keeping them out of the Hall of Fame, denying them records, all this stuff is just ridiculous. Taking away people's trophies, not letting this woman run because she tested positive for pot. It's all part of the same thing of like us trying to control these athletes' bodies and tell them how we want them to live and that they're role models for our children. Whatever it is, it's stupid to me. And so maybe that's a hot take. Maybe that's controversial. <laughs> but. Uh, I say just let them play, let them do what they want, and they have to live with the consequences of, you know, the the damage to their liver and their kidneys and their body or whatever it might be, and that's on them, okay? And that's and it's been going on. All your favorite players are constantly cheating. All your favorite players are constantly f- trying to find a way to stay in the game, and if that means uh, dodging tests and 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 injecting drugs, then so be it. They will do it, and they're all doing it, and. It's ridiculous for us to even think that we can have a say in what they do. So that's my hot take on uh, on sports. And maybe we get a whole other podcast going. Sports on drugs, man. I, I, 
you know, I have the, the domain, so <laughs> one day we can uh, expand our podcast empire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just uh, some numbers here. Uh, I said 750. Bonds actually hit 762 home runs in his career. Um, he took the single season home run record with 73. McGuire had that previously with 70. Maris had that before him with 61. And then, of course, uh, Babe Ruth with, with 60. So that's our sports on drugs for today. <laughs> Indeed. Some other big news, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. This news kind of broke just as we were um, recording, but we wanted to get a little bit in just to keep you guys up to date. And then next week, we'll kind of get, you know, more in depth on it. But uh, the long-awaited federal legalization bill that that Chuck Schumer and Cory Booker have been promising for, for months and months now, that finally dropped. They, uh, they announced it in a press conference, and the bill is out there. It is now in a public comments uh, time period that's going to last until September 1st. It's a very interesting bill. Um, it, it, it's going to essentially deschedulize cannabis, so it's going to remove cannabis from the CSA. So that's great. That's going to help a lot. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of um, provisions for social equity. Uh, criminal justice reform, writing some of the uh, the harms of the drug war. Expunging people's criminal records. Yes, expungement is part of it. Uh, but it, it, it does not make cannabis uh, legal throughout the country. It, it reserves the right of states to either legalize or prohibit cannabis, but it essentially uh, deschedulizes it and it leaves it up to the states. So, the bill is out there. It's obviously going to be shaped and formed over the next uh, couple of months. That's the good news. The bad news is that already, just hours after this was announced, uh, Biden's press secretary came out and said that he does not support this bill. Uh, Biden continues to uh, only support decriminalization. He does not support legalization, and nothing has changed with the release of this uh, draft bill. So that's a bit of a bummer. And just one other thing, Senator Cory Booker, who was instrumental along with Chuck Schumer in getting this uh, federal legalization bill out there, he, during a press conference, went in on uh, federal legalization versus banking. And it's quite clear that these senators are not going to allow the SAFE Act, the Banking Act, to go through the Senate until... Uh, federal legalization is dealt with. So I just want to play you some sound of Cory Booker addressing that issue. I'm telling you right now, if somebody tries in the Senate to do just a banking bill, they're going to make all the wealth and the money that is going after this will be already is a multi-billion dollar industry. But what what could become a even bigger industry to just do it so some people can get rich and not do something about the people who are languishing with criminal convictions, not do something on restorative justice, not do something to make sure that the business opportunities are created are fairly given a fair playing field, where right now in many states, someone who has a criminal conviction for selling marijuana can't get a license now. I don't know about other members of the Senate, but I will lay myself down to do everything I can to stop an easy banking bill that's going to allow all these corporations to make a lot more money off of this, as opposed to focusing on the restorative justice aspects. Hmm. Oh, so, so powerful words from, from Cory Booker there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in a way, I agree with him on that for sure. We can't just have the banking issue solved without solving all these other problems. And this bill goes a long way towards that. I think there's some things I don't like about it, including a, a, a federal tax of something like 20%. 
added on to the state taxes that our people are already paying. I think we're getting into the realm of ridiculous when we're taxing cannabis at those type of levels. Uh, I love the expungement. I love you know the criminal records uh, on all of that. I like the the uh, scheduling rather than you know putting it on schedule two or three. There's a lot of things to like. Uh, there's a lot of things to not like. But the reality is, is they don't have 60 senators that are going to vote for this and support this. It's just not. It's dead in the water. Uh, it's not going to happen, especially without the support of Biden, uh, who could at least pull some of the moderates in that direction. But, um, you know, again, you, these things happen and people get excited about them and they're um, arguing about them and everything. But the reality is... Uh, we're still in the in the mess that we're in, and uh, it's not. This bill probably won't be the one that fixes it. And uh, I think Corey's right. We can't just do the banking thing and not handle these other things. But I think it's going to be hard uh, to to do this. Uh, the federal legalization is a pretty difficult thing, and I think eventually it's just going to have to happen somehow. Um, and I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but. Um, you know, I, I like the fact that people are talking about it. I turn on the news and the people are talking, people are calling me. It, 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 get, it keeps the momentum going, uh, but let's not get ahead of our skis here. Uh, the reality is we're still in the quicksand of, of marijuana prohibition state by state, uh, in some cases, uh, county by county, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, it's interesting times, and I'm glad uh, it's being talked about, and I, I'm glad it's 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 being discussed as a, a realistic and uh, a thing that people can imagine that's going to happen eventually, but uh, I don't think this is it. Uh, but I support it, uh, and I support Booker particularly, uh, and I'm going to keep these politicians' feet to the fire as long as we can, and we, we, we have to, for the sake of uh, people that are still locked up, 40,000-plus prisoners uh still locked up and all the people who can't get jobs because of criminal records and you know just so much miscarriage of justice over all of these you know 80 plus years of, of marijuana prohibition so the fight continues and uh you know we'll keep we'll keep it going yeah, it is great to see this in the news and to hear uh, all these politicians uh, debating it and discussing it. But as you mentioned, uh, they don't have the votes. Schumer acknowledged that they don't have the votes. Forget 60. They don't have uh, a 50 vote threshold. They don't have it. So we're going to have to see uh, what happens. Uh, as we mentioned, the president doesn't support it. And we really would love to see something get done. I know, obviously, they can't just deal with banking, but it would be a shame to miss out on banking and to lose uh, federal legalization. But we'll see what happens. And, and as I mentioned, we will uh, get in depth on this. Maybe we'll have um, some expert come on and talk to us about, about the bill and about the uh, forecast for legalization federally. But that's sort of what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea. We should definitely do that, uh, have somebody... Uh, on to talk about that that knows a little bit more than I do. <laughs> Speaking of people that know more than I do, <laughs> we have a great guest uh, for you guys in the interview segment. He was our first guest on Free Weed and our first guest on Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, he's a mentor and a friend uh, and an amazing grower, an amazing person as well. Uh, it is Mr. Kyle Cushman, at Kyle Cushman 420 on Instagram. Uh, and he's going to be talking to us about a bunch of stuff, um, mostly grow related. So very exciting interview with Kyle. And I hope you guys will stick around because that's coming up right after the break. 
If you're ready to start your own home grow, you're gonna need some seeds. Fortunately, our sponsor Rocket Seeds has you covered. You can find seeds for hundreds of high quality cannabis varieties at rocketseeds.com, including many of our strains of the Fortnite. Rocket Seeds boasts an incredible inventory of quality tested cannabis seeds. Whether you're looking for feminized, autoflowering, regular, CBD, or fast version seeds, Rocket Seeds has it all. Plus, Rocket Seeds ships internationally and discreetly and provides excellent customer service. And as a special promotion just for our listeners, you can use the code GBY10 to get 10% off your order at Rocket Seeds. So follow at Rocket Seeds on Instagram. Remember to tell them Danny sent you. And check out rocketseeds.com today and get growing. All right, you guys, we are back and we have a special treat for you. Uh, our old pal, Kyle Cushman, who has been on the show, uh, our first guest on Free Weed, our first guest on Grow Bud Yourself, and uh, multiple time returning guest, uh, Kyle Cushman. Welcome. What up, everybody? This is Vader Cushman. Because <laughs> I'm talking into my bong. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, um, you know, we've talked to Kyle a bunch of times. There we go. Uh, we've talked to Kyle a bunch of times uh, over the years, and, and uh, Kyle's been a friend for for decades uh, and a longtime grower. Uh, I'll, I'll just run through the past real quickly so we can get to the present and the future because that's what I'm most interested in right now. Um, but Kyle's been growing since, I would imagine, the 90s, maybe even the 80s. <laughs> Definitely it's 90s. 88. 88. Yeah, it's going on 35 years. So growing since the 80s and then uh, linked up with uh, the High Times gang of uh, the 90s and uh, was written about and then became a writer <laughs> at the magazine, uh, a predecessor to me uh, as the cultivation reporter and editor uh, at High Times, uh, left around, I guess, 2004 or five. Exactly. Uh, it was 99 to 04. I lived in Brooklyn. Right. Five right. years. I gave myself five years in the Brooklyn detention facility. I called it. <laughs> I'm still just a few, a few blocks from where you live now. So it's pretty amazing. And then, uh, and then moved to California, uh, and has been a grower out there, uh, for many years and is now working with homegrown cannabis uh, homegrown world, uh, at homegrown world, on Instagram and teaching people how to grow at home uh, like a pro, which is really what we're all about at Grow Bud Yourself as well. So uh, Kyle, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, let me know a little bit about uh, what you're up to at the moment with Homegrown and, and everything else. Working with Homegrown Cannabis Co. is really freaking like a dream because, you know, it's it's the final mantra to hold of the whole uh, cannabis prohibition, uh, not only of, of it legally, of it socially, you know, the old saying, you know, overgrow the government, you know, that's what we all used to run around saying over if everybody grew, you know, and that's what we're still doing is we're, we're encouraging people to grow their own. And that, uh, still continues to normalize the status of, of marijuana cannabis, you know, in the public eye. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really what, like I said, what we're all about uh, at the show is really encouraging people 
to produce their own cannabis and purchase, if they're not producing their own cannabis, purchase small batch homegrown cannabis from, from mom and pops and, and the uh, smaller producers that are going to be creating a better product uh, at a better price. And now that, you know, we've seen what cannabis uh, grows like in these, you know, that hundred thousand square foot plus uh, facilities, it's all the more reason I think for, for people who really care about quality uh, to grow their own or, or purchase from, from a small batch home grower. And I think when you compartmentalize and, and, and grow in smaller batches, you're able to uh, not only come up with a better product, but uh, use techniques that you probably couldn't use on a larger scale. Uh, organic techniques and, and, and even veganic, which I know you uh, pioneered with uh, the vegan matrix line and all of that. So, uh, you know, and, and this is an alternative to uh, the regulated and taxed model of going to a dispensary and buying, you know, a 65 or $70 eighth. You can produce that eighth for much cheaper at home uh, and, and, and for higher quality. And, uh, and you'll know, the strain, you'll know the nutrients that were used because, as you and I both know, uh, overfeeding is a is a pretty big thing in cannabis. Uh, so, uh, why don't why don't you t- tell me something that you've learned recently? Something that you've learned about growing cannabis only just now after over thirty five almost years of cultivating. You know that's 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 a really good question, and it's a it's a it's a hard one, um, but. You know, it's it's funny because something that I've learned recently is um, it's about pH. And I spent a lot of years, uh, I guess, I don't know, subconsciously, I'm, I'm trying to write off. It was a big mistake of mine to suggest not pHing. And what I mean is uh, not regularly monitoring at least your pH because... I know there's plenty of people out there that use soil or um, soilless medium and uh, augmented soils, no-till, things like that, where they feel comfortable without pHing. And I was comfortable not pHing for a long time, too. And then I realized that even the soils that I was using occasionally, um, even though they seem to balance it out with lime, um, and adjusters and things like that, the material itself changes from time to time and the long-term consistency of it changes from time to time. And uh, I don't know if it's a new thing, but I've found that um, some of my batches of ProMix over time will rise in pH and some of my batches in ProMix will fall. And so monitoring your pH is something that I think is worthwhile no matter what type of growth style you do. And um, I know I made myself feel a lot better the other day. I've got a strawberry cough garden going for the first six years, I think. And she's a finicky, finicky girl. And um, I had some extra water the other day and put the pot up on a lift and did some extra watering and got and measured some runoff. And it made me feel so confident that every that I knew that everything was spot on because I really want this cough to come out good. And um, and if and and just knowing that 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 me watering with a six five 
Um, previously, during flowering, I'd be okay with a 5.8, uh, 6.0 watering. I had a crop. The cherry tree I just pulled off. I was watering at the end with an unadjusted 5.8 all along, and my runoff was still coming out over 6. And uh, I have to adjust now. From 5.8, I put my nutrients in. It comes out at 5.8 to 6.0, and I bump it up to 6.5 so that my runoff stays up at 6.2 and doesn't go down anymore. And so that's what I've learned recently as a 30 plus year grower that monitoring your pH, that's what comes to mind right now. Yeah. I think, you know, knowing, you know, even, even knowing just that it's in the right parameters is so much better than kind of just wondering if it is or guessing that, you know, if everything's looking decent and healthy, I'm fine. Cause sometimes those problems do take uh, a little while to, uh, you know, to arouse your attention and be like, Oh they no. Do. And you know, the thing is, it's not really trying to get it to be a specific number. It's really just knowing whether it's rising or falling over time. Right. Because if it's stable, that's cool. And, but if you're, if you can know that it's rising or falling, then you can make an adjustment to keep things perfect. And that's, that's what I'm doing right now because I really am, Looking forward to a nice fat strawberry cough harvest that I haven't seen <laughs> in a long, long time. I'm actually Indeed. growing the starberry and the grape ape all in the same room again. And I think the strawberry is getting a little jealous like she normally does. But <laughs> I'm not paying any attention to any of the other plants. I don't care that they're done in eight or nine weeks. They're getting nitrogen because that's what the strawberry cough needs. <laughs> I feel the same way about the strain. It's it's my desert island uh, variety for sure. Uh, pretty much any time people ask me, you know, if you could only smoke one thing for the rest of your life, that's that's the one. You know, for me, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. how popular. I love it. It is. I love it. Yeah. Now, uh, you guys recently dealt with some heat issues out west, and I know uh, we're we, we've got some pretty high heat here in the East now as well. And I think that's going to be something that uh, people deal with more and more. Uh, what are, what are some ways, I mean, you know, just basic stuff about like uh, watering or, or feeding during these heat waves or, or ways to just get through the heat wave and, and, and make it to the other side with, with plants still alive. Originally I was thinking, why is he asking me about outdoor growing? And then it kicked in and I'm like, yeah. So, um, a couple of good things, um, water more frequently rather than fully saturating and, uh, having to wait several days. And this will keep, uh, your roots from heating up and cooking over consecutive days because you put nice cool water in there. So try to water more frequently. Um, another thing is if you're growing above ground in, Pots, containers, I don't care if they're fabric or black or whatever, uh, ring them with some kind of white or reflective material and keep the sun's rays off of the pot because a really, uh, you, it's not the plant becoming 100 degrees that is a problem because these are tropical plants. They can grow in 105, 110 degrees. The problem is the root zone. When the root zone reach comes above 70 degrees, and things start kind of cooking down in the root zone, that's when the plant has trouble photosynthesizing and pushing the water up to the top of the plant. Maybe not 70 degrees, maybe, you know, getting closer to 80 degrees. I don't even know, but it's the root zone getting warm. And that's why you'll notice that 
Um, people that grow outdoors that have very large plants in the ground, in large holes in the ground where they have roots that go down where it's still 50 degrees, they don't have problems with the heat. So uh, smaller plants rather than larger plants so you can water them every day would be a good idea. Uh, shade cloth is another good idea. You can, you know, you should be growing with shade cloth anyways, no matter what, just because of all the caterpillars and bugs these days. You know, if I was growing outdoors, I'd be making a, a whole like uh, hoop house of, sh of shade cloth. Right. You know? So the vegetative stage is the time that uh, people can actually max maximize yields uh, by manipulating their plants. And uh, I know, you know, back in the day, you sort of popularized the term fimming <laughs> and, uh, and also super cropping uh, as well. Can you talk a little bit of, because especially out here, out east, um, you know, we have plant limits uh, in some cases like six plants. So, uh, but the but the limit is only on the amount of plants and not on the size of the plants. So, uh, what are some ways that people can, uh, you know, manipulate plants or or use super cropping techniques uh, to get more uh, more flowers and, and a bigger yield? The uh, what a lot of people don't relate or understand is that um, it's really important to maximize right from the very beginning, I guess you would say. And a lot of people wonder why my plants always look so good, why they look so dense or, and that's from early on having the confidence. I think we were talking about this last time I talked, having the confidence to give them the food that they need and the light intensity that they can handle so that you maximize internodal spacing. Internodal spacing is a fancy term for the distance between each set of leaves, right? And the shorter the internode, the longer your main cola is going to be. And the longer your main cola is, the less stretch there's going to be between your main bud and your satellite buds. And so everything you can do to maximize from day one is how you get to the end with a high yield, a higher yield off of a smaller plant, right? So I used to wait to top my plants um, a lot longer than I do now. So top your plants really early when they're still really young clones, so that the top of the plant becomes even with any branches that are growing early on. Now you can, you can even that out later on when the plant's a foot tall, okay? But at that point, you've already got spaces between the internodes on the branches as well as the main stem. So think about accelerating whatever techniques you do earlier on. What made me start even thinking about this again and more was when I went and visited a farm, Cali Kosher, out here in um, uh, the Central Valley, and they were topping their clones. So basically, they get a clone. I don't know if it's four or six inches. They root it, and as soon as that thing is rooted, they top it. And they had these cute little six-inch, 
10 inch tall with dual branches on them because they topped them early on. I thought, what an interesting thing, top your clones. So that's my thing, you know, I mean, so next question. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> so basically just start early and, uh, and pinch and prune often uh, in order to get those uh, real bushy plants and shorter internodal spacings. Um, I wouldn't say pinch and prune often because you can overdo it. So, you know, you, you only want to pinch satellites or secondary branches when they overgrow the top of the plant. The trick is to get uh, an even plant, a kind of a, a bush, right? And that's going to depend on variety. It's, I think it's, a, it's, it's more about bringing the light down and understanding if you have a light that you can bring down six inches. Now, if, so if you're using um, fluorescence, fluorescence can't be too close. No matter what kind of fluorescent you have, you should have it directly on top of your plant other than the time when they first sprout from seedling. Give them a few, give them six inches. And then as soon as you get a leaf surface that has two or three inches of leaf surface, you bring that light directly down on top of it so that you have to raise it every day. And that's the trick. So then when, as you move up to a brighter light, you need to know exactly how close you can get that plant without retarding growth and have it there. And then literally raise the light every day that's that's the technique for maximizing internodal spacing okay well now that brings us to uh the flowering stage and flipping that uh you know the plant from the vegetative stage into the flowering stage um maybe can you talk a little bit about that i think a lot of people uh don't quite understand uh you know the stretch that that happens after the flip and also uh, you know, when to start feeding uh, with flowering nutrients? Sure. So um, I like to say that the first week of flowering is actually your last week of vegging. So don't make any nutritional changes in your first week of flowering, no matter what strain you're growing. Um, continue feeding a high nitrogen uh, grow formula because uh, they're basically still in veg for the first week of flowering. And then on the second week of flowering is when the need for calcium and magnesium starts to kick in. And right around the, the second week of flowering, you have to double your inputs of CalMag. Now, of course, if you're using an all-in-one or a, a system, you don't have to think about it in those terms. You just follow the recipe chart and they'll have you all keyed in on that. But if you're doing any mixing and matching, that's what you want to do is the second week in flowering is when you bump up your phosphorus. You're going to double your phosphorus inputs and you're going to double your CalMag inputs. And in the case of strawberry cough, I continue that nitrogen level through the fourth week of flowering. It's the only strain that I do that with. Every other sativa, um, usually by the second or third week, I start reducing the inputs of the nitrogen just a little bit so that the it's getting more phosphorus. So I guess the other thing I want to talk about is what determines when you're going to change the cycle, right? This is the big question. And of course, everyone knows that the bigger the plant is when you change the light cycle to flowering, the bigger potential you have for a higher yield. At this point, what you have to think is you have to 
balance the size of the plant uh, with the size of the container. So for example, if you flowered the plant and it's only in a six inch pot, um, you know, and that's what you're flowering in, you really have to flower that plant by the time it reaches a foot tall. Because a two foot plant in a six inch container is about all you can do. Otherwise they're going to fall over. So based on the size of the final home of the pot is basically how large you can let the plant grow. So if you have like a, uh, a two gallon pot, you could flower at one to one and a half feet. If you have a three, three gallon pot, you might go as large as two foot. If you have a five gallon pot, you might go as large as two and a half foot. Taking into account that you also have a limit to where the plants are gonna grow up and then they're gonna grow into your lights. But the most important thing is not having your plants outgrow their pot so that they become root bound and don't wanna take water um, you know, the, 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 the roots take up so much of the space inside that the water just pools at the top and they don't suck down water anymore. And, and you don't want to end up with that problem. Right. Indeed. Now, um, take us into the future, uh, a, like a couple of months you've, you've flowered these strawberry cough plants. Uh, they are ripe and ready to take down. Uh, tell me, you know, from the moment you take them down uh, to, you know, through take me through the harvesting, drying, and curing process for you personally, for your own head stash, not for sale or anything else, but for you. Uh, and you know, if this is a, if this has changed over the years or or any of that, you know, please please do mention that. But uh, take me through that process uh, of what you're going to do with those plants uh, for your own personal reasons. Uh, what has changed over the years is that I've put a value in um, uh, using appliances to control the environment during the drying process. I used to be perfectly happy, uh, even in the summertime, to hang them in my bedroom, let them dry over the four or five days that it would take them with natural air and uh, be happy with that. But I found that slowing it down by cooling the room and even humidifying the room um, when necessary. Um, so, so you need parameters in order to, to do that. And for me, the optimal temp temperature and humidity are around 68 to 70 degrees. Some people like to make it colder. I don't think it's necessary to be any colder than that. Um, that's a little chill. 68 degrees for me is an actual chill. I'm not comfortable in 68 degrees. I would prefer it to be a little warmer. Um, so, and, and then you have to gauge whether you have a, um, a very dry atmosphere like Arizona or Colorado and you're going to need a humidifier because if the humidity in that room falls below 50%, um, then you're not going to have an optimal drying time. If I suppose if you lived in a jungle somewhere, I don't know if there's any place in America where the humidity is over 70%, you know? And so the idea is to keep it optimal. So I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get really deep now. So Think of drying your plants like a reverse VPD, vapor pressure deficit. So 
Vapor pressure deficit is what you want to apply to your grow room. And what that does is it means applying a certain amount of humidity to the room so that the plants, when they're photosynthesizing at such a high rate, and the leaves are pushing up so high, the reason why they're pushing up so high is because the liquid and the water in the plants is being pushed to the tips. That's where you get the turgidity, okay? And the plants have um, pores, the stomata, and they will push that water right out into the atmosphere if there isn't enough humidity to push back on them. That's where the term vapor pressure comes from. So it's kind of the same thing with drying. As the plants dry, they off-gas. They push off humidity, right? And what we don't want to do is we don't want to put an appliance in the room that facilitates pulling the humidity from those plants. We want an appliance in the room that removes the excess humidity from the room so that there is room in the atmosphere for the plants to off-gas, hence a reverse VPD. You don't want to create that pressure. You want to allow it to escape. And that's a, very, that's a balance just like VPD is. So in a place like California, for example, where we just have a, our humidity is between 15 and 30%, um, you put the cannabis in a sealed room, that humidity will build up. So you need a dehumidifier. So you set that dehumidifier for 55% so that as the humidity reaches above 55%, the humidifier will come on just so slightly to remove it down to 50, 55% and then shut off. And that allows for the plant to be able to off gas more humidity into the room. You remove it and the cycle repeats itself. If you set that humidifier too high or low, meaning you set it down at 30 or 35% and it runs all the time, it's constantly going to be pulling humidity from the air, hence facilitating a faster drying, and that's not what you want to do. So you balance it with either a humidifier or a dehumidifier. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, at what point do you then go into glass jars, or if that is the preferred method? So glass jars are great because no matter what kind of uh, plastic you buy uh, and, and it says it says it's non-permeable, it, it, it doesn't have the same um, resistance as glass. Uh, but if you have really, really large amounts, it's perfectly acceptable to use um, Cure tubes, for example, is a, is a good alternative or line them, line something with turkey bags. The main thing is the timing of when you put it into an airtight container and checking the humidity and knowing if you need to so-called burp the containers to allow humidity out, to allow it to equalize, or if you, or if it's at the right humidity in there and you can leave the container the way it is so that the curing gases um, are allowed to actually build up. And that's where you can get a really, really fine, intense cure. That takes a lot of practice. Um, inside the jar, uh, inside the jar, you want around 60 to 65% humidity. Um, 
in a bud that is almost dry. Now, that's the trick is knowing when the moisture content inside the flower itself is proper for putting it into that, that status of, of curing, right? And, and, and that's the real trick. Um, and that takes sensitivity. Sometimes I, I'll use my molar to crack on just the, the stem so you can sense if there's any moisture left in the stem. That's no, no bueno. No good to have water in the stem. You want like a, uh, anything from 7 to 10%, which doesn't mean anything to me because I don't have a meter that I can stick in the bud that tells me what percentage of moisture the bud has in it. Um, it's all about the feel of the flower. Does it smoke? Does it stay lit? So you want to find that window right between where the flower, if you try to smoke it, it'll go out right after you light it to the point where it'll burn. That's the window right there in between because you need to cure it with just a little more moisture than would allow it to burn well. Awesome. Right on. Well, thank you, Kyle. Um, Tell me what your plans are, uh, you know, and, you know, for the future, I guess, and, and anything that's going on uh, with these tutorials and, and videos that you're, you're working on. Uh, yeah, let us know what's uh, what's in the works. Well, I uh, I'm really looking forward to all the work we're doing with Homegrown. We have a, uh, a really cool outdoor greenhouse um, out down in San Diego that's going to be coming down over the course of the end of the summer with all with dozens of homegrown genetics um feminized and auto flowers and i'm really excited to see how they come out and pretty soon here uh if not in the next in, in the next couple of weeks for sure we're going to start production on a show that i landed uh it's going to be the, the working title right now is uh seed to smoke how to grow with kyle cushman and Nate Hammer, my partner at Homegrown, is going to we're developing a character for him on the show. And we're going to go on all these cool locations. We're going to go down to the bay and visit people, maybe do some wine and weed tours. It's going to be a really, really good show. It's, it's on um, SCTV, Social Club Television, which is an app that you can download for free from your phone. And yeah, look for that. We're going to be filming all summer. And hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll have the first episode ready to go. Uh, we're slated to do 10 episodes. All right. Well, thank you, Kyle Cushman. Follow along at Kyle Cushman 420 on uh, Instagram. You can see the, the plants we're speaking on and all of the uh, things that Kyle's been working on. Uh, thank you for being on the show, as always. Uh, Danny, you're, you're, you're one of my best, oldest friends. We got to get together again. I miss you. And Mike, thanks for doing such a good job on the show and making this happen. I love you. You know, come out to Cali sometime soon. See, look, I got a pool and, a, and look, there's see the door back there. That's the pool house bedroom. That's for you. Oh man. I'm coming out. All right. Do it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Kyle. And we will be back after these messages with more grow bud yourself. If you're a grower, or you're thinking about starting your first crop, 
then you need to know about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. Sweet Leaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. So check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweet Leaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. All Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you to Kyle again for the uh, the great interview. Always amazing to catch up with him and uh, gain some insights on how to grow the plant and uh, cultivate everything. Indeed, yeah, it's always good to hear from Kyle. He's becoming like the the third member of our crew. He's like the the fifth beetle, but for Grow Bud yourself. <laughs> indeed, indeed, he's you know he he's the inspiration. You know he. He uh, he played a major role in in uh, you know me being where I'm at and and all of this uh, you know cultivation stuff being a, being a big deal and and so uh, we honor him and uh, give him his flowers that he is due very well deserved and uh, speaking of cultivation this is the cultivation segment and uh, since it is an off fortnight we will start with a grow tip now now normally. Dan does not take requests for these grow tips. However, we saw an interesting question uh, over our Facebook page from Lee Peppers, who was interested in getting some info on gorilla growing because he lives in a non-legal state. So uh, perhaps you could you could provide some grow tips on gorilla growing. Indeed, I can. Um, you know, I guess the first thing I'll say is that it's not recommended. You know, I'm not recommending getting out there and growing uh, cannabis on someone else's property or on private property or public property. Uh, it's risky and uh, dangerous and in many, in many ways not likely to result in an amazing outcome. Uh, now, if you're still curious about it, I'm going to <laughs> give you some hypothetical uh, things that you would need to know basically season by season. Uh, basically... The key to gorilla growing outdoors uh, is finding the right place to plant. To plant, uh, that's really the hardest part is location, uh, as they say with real estate. And also, then only visiting your plant as often as absolutely necessary. Uh, that's also a pretty big deal, depending on the situation of where where this plant is located or plants, I should say. Uh, right about now is pretty much the last uh, time of year that you could be putting gorilla plants outside and actually result in any kind of a decent harvest because uh, they're very shortly going to start flowering. Uh, so unless you are doing some type of light uh, uh, supplementation techniques with these plants, uh, which is very difficult to do in a gorilla grow, uh, now would be the time basically to put some plants outside if you're planning on doing it this year. If you're not, uh, basically you need... Uh, to make the place where these plants are practically invisible. So you don't want to, uh, you know, scatter around any clues uh, or litter in the planting area. Uh, you want to make sure to tread lightly 
bring in what you need, take out everything that you bring in, uh, leave the forest cleaner and healthier than you found it. Uh, and basically, it's kind of a seasonal thing. So if you're going to be getting ready for next year, uh, you're going to want to start basically in the winter uh, by choosing the spot uh, that you're going to be growing in. Now, uh, a good way to do this is is to find places no one goes. Uh, now, a lot of those places are going to not have a lot of light available. So there might be a clearing, you know, you know, next to the highway where there's a fence and then another fence. There might be a clearing in there that nobody goes to mow or anything. It's just sort of uh, unused land. I know a lot of people who uh, work on golf courses, plant plants, you know, all around the golf course because there's places where no, they know that nobody goes. Uh, you know, I, actually, we talked to uh, Mike from uh, uh, down in Florida from the chem fam about this actually i think he got his start as a groundskeeper on a golf course and that's a a great way uh another thing is you want to go in and out with some type of uh reasoning uh, for why you're in this area so you know bring a fishing pole if there's water nearby uh bring a bucket for mushroom collecting if it's, it's the right time of season for that uh make yourself look innocuous and uh you know find a secluded area uh that uh that you know no one will go to. A great tip I learned too uh, years ago was to just pin a dollar bill up to a tr- to a tree in that area, and uh, if you come back and the dollar bill's gone, uh, don't grow there. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, and then you know you also have things like deer to think about. Uh, so. You know, you want a place that's not going to have any visitors, hikers, hunters, campers. If you happen to be a boating enthusiast, uh, a canoer, a kayaker, a stand-up paddleboarder, maybe you can find an island and a lake or something that no one goes to. Those always seem like great spots. Um, uh, Another thing is, you know, people show up to mow grass in some of these spots that you might not be thinking of. So keep that in mind as well. you want a southern facing slope if you can find one i mean that's ideal because you're going to get the most amount of light uh you want a place that doesn't have uh complete uh tree cover so you're just getting filtered light you definitely want at least a few hours of full sunlight if you can and and more if if you can find it uh a great place is where there's been like a lightning strike or something that's taken out a tree or two and made a brand new clearing uh that's a wonderful place because uh you can plant there and not even have a ton of competition from other plants. Uh, so, you know, if you're bird watching and you've got your, uh, your binoculars and your, whatever it is that, you know, your tackle box, uh, whatever you, you, you do to make yourself look like you're not looking for a place to grow, uh, cannabis is definitely good. Uh, you don't want to make a path to your spot. Uh, so take different ways in and out. Um, only bring in what you need obviously water is very uh uh heavy basically it's eight pounds per gallon or so so uh, and there's might be times when you need to bring in water so uh you want to be able to do that as well uh winter is also a good time if you want to put out really big plants uh winter is the time to root your clones or start your seeds indoors under lights uh if you have the space that's ob- that's definitely going to result in a bigger uh, yield if you start the plants in the winter and put them out in the spring. So uh, now that we're at spring, that's when you're going to want to put the plants out. Uh, it's always better to put out uh, a healthy seedling or a, a decent sized plant than it is to plant directly into you know that outdoor uh, hole. A lot can happen to a very young plant. Uh, so 
it is nice to start them inside, uh, get them acclimated to stronger sunlight. You can place them outside a few hours per day uh, if you have that ability. Uh, and, you know, plant them maybe on a, a week where you get some, some overcast weather or something so they're not just uh, suddenly inundated with really bright sunlight because that can definitely fry them and kill them if they're young plants. Um, you don't want to grow basically just in the native soil unless it's particularly rich, you know, if you're, if you're in the cornfield or somewhere where there's great uh, topsoil. But typically you'd want to bring in uh, some soil, uh, dig some holes, the deeper the better, uh, and put in that soil and any kind of uh, amendments. You might want to add uh, organic additives, uh, perlite. Uh, even water-absorbing crystals can help because those uh, will absorb a lot, a lot of liquid when it rains and hold that moisture uh, until the plant sort of dry, the soil dries out and then they release that moisture uh, a little bit slower and, and that can help in places that aren't are you know drought uh, heavy you know with the droughts uh, so you know the deeper the better like I said as Kyle mentioned as well you know the deeper uh, the the more access to uh, water down below and also the cooler soil that's down there as well um, you want to kind of cover up once you dig those holes and put your plants in you want to cover up with like some of the native uh, whatever's there on the forest floor so it doesn't look like a freshly uh, you know freshly dug grave <laughs> or whatever you might uh, think that might be so uh, that'll also draw attention to people that just happen to be passing by you'd be surprised how many people will pass right by uh, the plants, as long as they look like they belong there and uh, and haven't, you know, gotten too odiferous. Um, so, you know, that's an important thing is that you put out fairly strong plants if you really want to have uh, really good plants later. Now, the summer is the time where you're just keeping the plants happy. Uh, you know, the like I said, the more sun they can get, the better because they'll grow bigger and stronger. Uh, and you'll have a bigger yield that way, bigger plants, as long as they can handle uh, the amount of soil that you've dug out and the, the deepness of the hole and how much water they're getting. Uh, if there's a water supply nearby, uh, a creek or a lake or something, that's always really good uh, and a lot easier to bring it a short distance than a long distance. Um, liquid fish and seaweed are great uh, during this time if you're going to add any kind of newts. Uh, you know, check them for pests and stuff that when you get out there to uh, give them water. There's also this I learned <laughs> the hard way, but there's plants that'll just vines that will climb up your plants and kind of choke them out uh, and use your plants for support. Uh, and at the same time, take nutrients and light away from your plant uh, and eventually, you know, really uh, choke them out if you don't cut those out of there. Uh, so do that as well. You don't want those vines going up there. Slugs, bugs, uh, all that stuff will ruin your nugs. So uh, be vigilant about that. Um, pray for rain. You know, every time it rains is uh, extra days. You don't have to get out there. So that's really a good thing. And then uh, in the fall, uh, starting about, not necessarily now because we're, we're still in mid-July, but towards the end of July, beginning of August, uh, as fall approaches, that's when the plant's going to start flowering and you've got about, uh, 60 days or so, two months. Uh, so, you know, August and September to the end of September, sometimes a little bit into October. Uh, but those two months are your flowering months. And, uh, um, that's when, you know, you want to add maybe a little bit of back guano, 
uh, any kind of bloom boosting newts. Also, it's the time where you want to, you know, avoid humidity uh, that can cause bud rot. If you can get out there after a rain and shake off some of that rain and moisture or the dew in the morning, uh, that's a great thing. Um, then, you know, it's time to plan actually getting out there and harvesting. Uh, so, you know, I like five gallon buckets for this and just basically trimming the buds uh, into five gallon bucket sized uh, branches, uh, putting them in the buckets and then carrying out the buckets, uh, you know, in theory, let's say. <laughs> uh, it's still going to be pretty stinky, uh, but at least, you know, no one will be all that curious about just some buckets coming out of the woods. Um, and then, you know, you get them to a safe location where you're going to do the trimming and drying process. Uh, and that's basically season by season what you need to know uh, as far as guerrilla gardening. And, uh, you know, good luck. And don't certainly don't expect anything to come out of it because a lot of times nothing does. But when it does, uh, it's, it's a time to celebrate. And uh, it's wonderful feeling when, uh, when it actually does... Uh, succeed all right very good the gorilla growing tips from danko i know i've discussed this before on the show but the uh, the dollar bill pinned to the tree trick always trips me out i feel like it would have to be a little bit higher than that if it's a dollar i'm expecting if i go up to it it's a trap <laughs> someone good. is gonna yeah it's like a net is gonna fall down and then someone is gonna hunt me for sport well, you know what's, uh, uh, you, you probably won't go back there. No, for sure. I won't. <laughs> so if the dollar's still there, it's the, the trick oh, still so works. So it's a deterrent now. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. So the trick still works. <laughs> some, some fourth dimensional chess. Impressive. Okay. So that was, uh, the grow tip. And now it is time to answer some questions. And if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. Our email is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we jump right in? Let's do it. Okay, first question is from John, and he writes, uh, Hey Dan, a new dispensary just opened in my town. However, I've been out of the game for three years. With that in mind, a 35 milligram edible is pretty strong, right? Uh, you know, it's all relative, but yes, a 35 milligram uh, for someone who's been out of the game uh, is very strong. Uh, that's why in places like Massachusetts, they have that 5 milligram uh, limit on servings of edibles uh, because they want people to go low and slow. And it's pretty good advice for people that are just getting started with things like that. Uh, but obviously there are people who have a higher tolerance uh, and eat edibles all the time, smoke all day, uh, do dabs. And those people are going to be able to take way more than uh, even 35 milligrams. I mean, I've heard of uh, 100 and, you know, and much higher uh, milligrams, and I think the record is in the thousands of, that people have consumed. And then there's, of course, people that are uh, what we call edible-blocked, or, or you know, where they can't get high from edibles at all. Uh, so I think everything is in varying degrees. And I think, you know, for beginners, you're going to want to start with the five milligrams. And if you don't feel anything for half hour to 45 minutes, uh, take a little more and see what happens. But uh, edibles can be very overwhelming when you overdo it. And I have definitely been there. And it's not a comfortable place to be. You'll be fine. Everything will be okay eventually. But you might have to not move for a while or lay down. And it's, it's just not comfortable. Uh, it's not, you know, 
uh, dangerous or anything like that. But, but I've definitely seen people freak out and not be very, be very unhappy, uh, in that position. We call it, uh, pulling a moto named for the, the great Maureen Dowd of the New York times who, uh, <laughs> who ate an edible in, in Colorado and, and proceeded to wrote about uh, it and wrote about it. Exactly. So <laughs> love you, Moto. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's the key with edibles. We've had Elise McDonough on the, on the show talking about that, you know, go low and slow and work your way up. And for the wooks out there who love their, you know, 150 milligram, uh, suckers, you know, that's great. Just be careful when giving those out to beginners because uh, people can get real messed up off of those. And it's just not a good look to get people uh, super high the first time out the gate. So uh, I do understand why those limits are there. Uh, you know, I like to take a bit more than five milligrams personally, uh, but 35 is definitely a lot for a beginner to, to start off with. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, John. And, uh, yeah, get that dose in correct. It is very uncomfortable to, uh, to go a little too high on the edible dosage. Let's move on to Gary. Gary writes, uh, hey guys, a friend of a friend claims she has clipped buds from her mature plant and returned it to an 18-6 light cycle, and it started growing again. Have you ever heard about this? Is it a bunch of fertilizer? Which I guess is Gary's way of asking if this is a bunch of shit. What do you think, Dan? <laughs> Yes, uh, a very colorful description there of uh, <laughs> of his friend's uh, situation. But yes, it is actually possible uh, to do this. It's called revegging. Uh, revegging a plant is basically taking it uh, after you've harvested most of the plant. You leave some of the fan leaves on uh, the branches and you place it back under a vegetating light cycle. Uh, and you will eventually see new leaves and branches begin to develop uh, after a week or two or so of that revegging process. So just as you said, you take that plant that's been under 1212, uh, you clip most of the buds, you know, and the leaves, but leave some leaves on from your mature plant so that it still looks like there's some, some leaves there on the plant. And, uh, it, and then you return that to an 18 to six hour day, night light cycle, uh, you can even put it at a 20 uh, and 4, uh, 20 on, 4 off, uh, 22 on, 2 off, whatever it is. As long as there's 18 hours of light per day, uh, you the plant will uh, eventually grow new leaves and branches. And uh, it's a good technique for saving a certain strain. So if you harvest it and you just uh, it's your only genetic connection to that plant, you just planted a seed and grew it out, and now you want more than just what you were able to harvest. Uh, it's a good way to get a mother plant out of that. Uh, and what you do there is once enough leaves and branches have formed uh, and you've the plant is vegging ba uh, back in its vegging stage, you take a clone from your re-vegged plant and then you root that clone uh, and make that your mother plant. You don't use the re-vegged plant as your mother plant, but you use a clone from the re-vegged plant as your mother plant. And the reason, one of the reasons I rec I say that is because I don't recommend re-vegging in order to re-flower the plant, uh, meaning re-vegging and then just putting it back into a flowering cycle and trying to yield uh, a decent amount off of that plant. Uh, it, the law of diminishing returns is at play here and you will get some buds out of the plant, but your whatever the yield is will not be worth uh, the effort and time spent 
basically going through this process. Revegging is a pain in the butt. Uh, you're better off starting with a fresh seedling or a rooted clone. Uh, the only reason I would reveg a plant is as a last resort to save a particular genetic material, uh, but not as a way to get a second harvest from the same plant. All right, there you go. Uh, thank you, Gary. Guess it wasn't a bunch of fertilizer after all. Uh, let's do one more here and go to Blazer. And Blazer, Blazer has a bit of an etiquette question. Well, you've come to the right place. So he writes, Say two people want to grow. One has seeds and the other knows how to grow. What is the etiquette for the grower-seed provider relationship? Do we split everything 50-50? See, I have the rare seeds, but my potential partner is going to have to do almost all of the work, so he wants more than 50%. I've got land, but it's my family's, and I refuse to disrespect that. So what would you say here to Blazer? Yes, okay. Um, this is a question I get asked a lot. It's about partnerships, basically. Uh, I've seen this go south a lot. Uh, I would avoid any type of pot growing partnership altogether if it's possible. Uh, I've seen friendships, uh, relationships, uh, marriages ruined uh, by the complications that can arise when people get into this bud business together. And uh, your potential partner is correct. If he's doing all the work in his grow space, uh, he should definitely get a larger share of those returns. And if all you're really doing is providing seeds, uh, maybe you can get a deal on some of the bud or the clones that are produced uh, or just charge him what you think is fair uh, for the seeds uh, beforehand. You know, this way, neither party is going to enter this deal with unrealistic expectations. You guys can stay friends. Uh, I've seen partnerships work for the better. Uh, but the one thing that those partnerships all have in common is that the details are worked out beforehand. Uh, without any vagueness about the terms of the agreement. And what I mean by that is who's paying the electric bill, who's going to go if there's an emergency, who's going to do all the things that it takes to successfully grow cannabis. Uh, so if you don't need them, the partner, don't take on the partner. I know it can be comforting to have someone that's in it with you, uh, but at the same time, uh, it can also be a nightmare and any potential uh, partnership can go south, uh, especially when there's uh, a lot at stake. So my advice is uh, if you're a grower, grow for yourself. Uh, and if you're, you know, in, in, and this is my advice for almost anybody going into any business is uh, if you're going to take on a partner, make sure it's, you know, very clear what each partner, what's expected of each partner and that the lines of communication uh, remain intact all the time. All right, there you go. We hope that helps you out there, Blazer. Good luck in this endeavor. Uh, that is all the time we have uh, for questions, um, but we will take another question on the Patreon uh, page. We do a Patreon bonus Q&A, and it's going to be about humidity levels, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, but thank you to everybody who wrote in. Again, if you have a question you would like answered on the show, you could reach us uh, by email that is info at growbudyourself.com. Uh, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and then wrap this one up? Let's do it. All right, welcome back. And this is the segment where we wrap up the show, uh, episode 62, uh, Enlightening Information About Personal Cannabis Cultivation. Uh 
it was a great show. It is a great show, and we're very excited. Uh, we love having our old pal Kyle Cushman back, so thank you to Kyle. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Rocket Seeds, uh, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, and Excelsior Extracts. Uh, remember the various codes you can use there uh, for discounts, as well as Vapor.com, where the code GROWBUDYOURSELF20 gets you 20% off site-wide, which is pretty awesome because they have a lot of great stuff at the site vapor.com so check them out uh rocket seeds the new code is gby10 for 10 percent off everything that they sell uh feminized autoflower uh, cbd regular and more so check them out rocketseeds.com um and sweet leaf you get that code uh danko15 for 15 percent off and if you join our patreon like many people have and we encourage you guys to do so uh, you can get codes for 20 and even 25% off from Sweetleaf, as well as a copy of my book, signed and sent to you, stickers from Grow About Yourself, merch, and other things that you can get. So please sign up for the Patreon. We love you guys. Uh, thank you for the support over there. And uh, the community, really, you know, that's what it's all about. So keep on growing. Uh, I think uh, let's uh, cheat gamble and take some steroids and put this one in the books.